folks, this is Ricky Warwick from Thin Lizzy, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. What's up, everybody? This is Nick Catanese from Black Label Society, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi there, this is Ricky Faulkner from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello, this is Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. And welcome to episode 133 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. We're going to get into a special interview in just a few minutes with one of my favorite bands of all time. But before we do that, we're going to start off with a track from a band we featured in episode 132. And if you haven't checked out 132 and you're a fan of metal in any way, please go back to ironcityrocks.com or go on iTunes check it out. We interviewed the amazing Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath on that episode. But we featured a song from a band called Firewolf. Um, the track was called Unholy. I got a lot of really, really good response on that. Anybody that um, listened to it loved it. So I'm going to give you another track from that band. This is Firewolf with a track called Air Attack. And then we'll be back to talk about our guest this time.
Alright, again, the band was Firewolf. You can find more information about them at Firewolf, and that's wolf spelt with the letter E on the end, dot com. A uh, really great band if you're a fan of bands like Iron Maiden or uh, our next guest from Judas Priest. Yes, you heard me right. From Judas Priest, we'll be talking to Richie Faulkner. Uh, I'm going to be getting a chance to see Judas Priest here in just a little over a week. Uh, They'll be coming through to the Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which is kind of a haul from where I live, but uh, certainly worth the drive to see not only Judas Priest, one of my all-time favorites, but also Thin Lizzy, a band um, somewhat of my age and probably younger didn't give the respect that they deserved. I know growing up, uh, you heard the boys are back in town on the radio so much, you just got sick of it. Uh, if you, if you're a younger person, um, probably anybody under the age of about 40, go back and get some Thin Lizzy and take a listen to it. An amazing, amazing band. And Ricky Warwick, uh, who's the current singer, uh, obviously not the original singer, the original singer Phil Linnett, uh passed away many years ago. But Ricky Warwick uh, is out on the road with him now on lead vocals. And as he admitted in an interview we did with him earlier uh, in the year, he's not trying to fill Phil's shoes. He's just trying to, uh, you know, kind of make that his own thing. So, if you want to check that out, I go to ironcityrocks.com. You can find an interview we did with Ricky Warwick. Also on the bill that night, Black Label Society. Uh, many of you know who have been listening to the show for any length of time. Nick is Nick Katniss of Black Label Society. has been on the show many times. Uh, and I've been blessed to work with the Katniss camp over the last, uh, it's been about a year now, uh, working with them. So, it's been a, an absolute pleasure working with them. Uh, so, you're going to get to see Black Label uh, kind of doing sort of a homecoming for Nick, as close as this tour is going to bring him. Uh, also, they'll be playing with Guns N' Roses in Youngstown, Ohio, so he's playing kind of playing on either side of Pittsburgh. And the mighty Judas Priest. This will be my first Judas Priest show, sadly. Um, hoping it's not the last, but we'll have to find out if the Epitaph Tour really is the end. But given the chance, just about a week or so ago, I spoke with Richie Faulkner, who is the, uh, call it the replacement for K.K. Downing. K.K. Downing kind of... Um, shocked the world earlier in the year by announcing his retirement in what looked like it could have been sort of the end of the road for Judas Priest. Uh, they kind of uh, reached out and found Richie, uh, and he gets into how they came across him. They made their debut with Richie on American Idol, of all shows, in front of an ungodly amount of people, and uh, the band looked great, the band sounded great, uh, they're back out on the road, and from you know the things you read about the band now, they seem to be somewhat rejuvenated by this, so... You know, a lot of people tend to hate on the new guy that's in a band. Uh, but when you think about it this way, if Richie was not in that spot right now, this could be the very end of Judas Priest. So if we have to have Judas Priest without KK, I think that's probably better than no Judas Priest at all. So without further ado, we are going to talk to Richie Faulkner of Judas Priest. And I say welcome to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, with great pleasure, I welcome from the band Judas Priest, Richie Faulkner. How you doing, Richie? Very well, thank you. It's a sunny day here where we are, and uh, yeah, it's great, really. Yeah, I will guess you're not in the uh, northeast today, then, because it is rainy and getting very cold out this way, as it tends to do. Uh, yeah, we're in San Francisco today, so uh, the sun's shining. It's a bit cool, but uh, it's really pleasant, you know? Yeah, yeah, that area of the country is beautiful. This Well, it's beautiful all, all year long, so... Uh, yeah. n- not too far from now, you're going to be making your way across the U.S. Uh, into into our fair state of Pennsylvania uh, to do a show with Judas Priest. And I wondered if we could to to kind of get a chance to know um, you. You're obviously stepping into a very iconic band uh, with a long history, but a chance to kind of get to know 
uh, where you come from as a musician. Um, you were originally from England, correct? I'm originally from England, yeah. Okay. And um, when did you get started on guitar? I was around, it was around my 10th birthday, so, sort of, you know, it was a few years ago now, but uh, mm-hmm. my dad actually got me into playing guitar. You know, we had some Hendrix albums and some Sabbath stuff and, you know, Deep Purple and stuff like that. And he also had a couple of mates that were in bands back then, so he bought a guitar off them, and that's how I got started on the instrument, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, now you grew up, uh, this would have been probably the early 90s at this point? Uh, yeah. I was yeah. born in uh, 1980, so okay. it was around the sort of end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s. Right okay, right. so oh, you, yeah. you kind of took up the, the guitar and is sort of the, the, the grunge movement started to move in and the whole Alice in Chains and things like that. Were there any uh, kind of bands of that era that you particularly looked up to? I totally missed that era, to be honest with you. I kind of... Because I got into what my dad got me into, you mm-hmm. know, um, I totally missed the whole grunge Seattle thing. And I was more into bands like Priest, Maiden, Guns N' Roses, uh, and as I said, the classics before, like Sabbath and, and Hendrix. I did, there wasn't, it was a different guitar style that the guys were doing in the, the grunge movement. And it wasn't really what I was looking for at that time, you know. It was only until afterwards that I sort of went back and, listen to it from another point of view, like, you know, song-wise and, mm-hmm. you know, the different elements that music had to offer. But at the time, I, I totally bypassed it, to be honest with you. Yeah, but I think you owe your dad a great debt of gratitude then, because um, you, you didn't miss much from a guitar perspective in the, you know, especially the early half no. of the 1990s. There, there, you know, there yeah, wasn't. as I said, it was, a, it was a different way of playing, different style of playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was looking for more flashy sort of solos and more technical stuff, really. So, you know, that didn't really... Didn't really turn me on too much, you know. No, no. And then you, um, would would you kind of call your first break professionally with um, Lauren Harris? Is that kind of is that a first statement? Or I mean, I know you were in a couple of bands and did a few things prior to working with Lauren. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. I had a couple of bands before. I think the first record I released uh, with a band was I was twenty one. Um, we went over to Japan, we done some dates in Japan, so that was a big deal, you know, for yeah. a 21-year-old. Uh, but when I could actually quit my job and, you know, just do music for a living, that was uh, around 2005 when I joined Lauren. Okay. So I think that's fair to say, yeah, I've been, you know, professional since since uh, playing with Lauren, yeah. Now, as a, you admittedly were a, a fan of Iron Maiden, um, Kind of a nerve-wracking experience playing with Lauren, or how did you get into Lauren? For those not familiar, Lauren is the daughter of Steve Harris, bassist for um, Iron Maiden. How did you uh, end up getting that gig, and, and what was that experience like? Well, uh, one of the bands I was with prior to Lauren, um, Dirty Deeds, Steve was the executive producer on the record, so that's when okay. I first knew him. Um, you know, and then from there. He asked me if I wanted, <coughs> excuse me, sneezing there. Uh, he asked me if I want to, it started off as a session with Lauren. So he said, you know, she was writing some songs with a couple of producers. Would you go out and, you know, do some guitars and stuff like that? So mm-hmm. I went out and did that. And then it sort of grew from there. We, um, so I knew Steve before, uh, the Lauren project. Okay. And, uh, he was part of it throughout, really, obviously, as he would be. And we went out until we made him from there and, uh, went out with another few bands, went out with uh, Within Temptation and Thunder and Motley Crue. But 
you know, I mean, I was a big Maiden fan as well, so to be part of that was just mind-blowing, really. Yeah. Uh, we were part of, obviously, the opening act. Now, to go back and do the same sort of thing as part of the opening act, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of Priest as well, so it's just, it's just incredible in that respect as well, really. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I, I can only begin to imagine what this experience is. And that leads to, to kind of the, the the question that's kind of foremost in my mind is how did uh, I mean obviously uh, Ken's situation with Judas Priest is is was a different story for a different day but how did you end up in that role I mean prior to what happened prior to May of 2011 that kind of got you on their radar and, and um, you know did you go in for an audition or what what was that experience like Well it was a mutual friend really that put uh, put them on to me. Uh, it was a guy that I played with a, a few years back called Pete Friesen, and he used to play with Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. And we used to play in a cover, cover band together, and we used to play Priest songs, you see. So, uh, they, were, uh, they contacted him, uh, and asked him if, if he was interested. And he had, you know, for one reason or another, he, he couldn't do it. So they asked him if he could recommend anyone. And, uh, he said he, he put them on to me, uh, and they called me up, and, uh, they called me actually and they sent me a couple of emails but I thought they were junk mail <laughs> so I deleted the mail and you know what I mean it was just yeah. a crazy situation it was a bit of a joke or someone was playing a trick but it wasn't and I went up to I went up to Glenn's house to, you know that week met Glenn met Rob I took my guitar they wanted to hear me play a few songs and that's what I did and uh, then they sent me a few songs that they, they were going to incorporate in the set and they wanted to hear what I'd do with those songs Mm-hmm. So I recorded those solos and sent them back, and they called me. They called me a week later and invited me back up to Glenn's house, um, and they said the gig's yours if you want it, you know. And I was, you know, they said, do you want it? <laughs> I yeah. said, yes, yeah, of course. You know, it was just a, an amazing. It was it was great just to be considered for the position. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Let alone, let alone to get get the job. It was just incredible. Yeah. Now. The experience of, of May 25th when, when you made your debut, because, I mean, you, you you guys kind of picked the biggest stage probably in America to kind of make your debut with the band. I mean, I, I can't think of a way other than maybe the Super Bowl uh, to make a bigger bang on TV than performing on American Idol. Um, can you kind of walk us through that day? Like, what was going through your head? Well, you're absolutely right. I think it was great um, introducing me introducing, you know, the band's tour mm-hmm. over the next few months and flying the flags. They've always been pioneers and they've always flying the flags of British metals, mm-hmm. you know, what I what I know, you know, as a fan. And I thought that was a great opportunity to do it. And again, it was my first show with a band in front of thirty million people. <laughs> um and it was just incredible to see it you know, you normally you used to seeing it on T V. And yeah. you're standing there in the wings, and Steven Tyler walks past, and Jennifer <laughs> Lopez walks past. You know what I mean? So it's like someone's going to pinch me, and I'm going to wake up in a minute. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, it was just a great experience. It was great to actually get on stage with a band, and and then and we went from there, really. But it was a great showcase in in many yeah, ways. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I mean, a great opportunity for the band to bring metal into the American households. You know. Yeah, it certainly did. Looking back, I mean, do you remember? the event as it happened or is it one of those things you had to go back on YouTube and kind of live the moment again because it was such a blur? No, I pretty much remember how it happened. Right. I, I was conscious, you know? Yeah. Uh, I was conscious through it and, uh, you know, I, I 
my girlfriend was there with me. She was offering me support and stuff. We just had a great time. We, you know, she'd be like, you know, Richie did Beyonce over there. You know what I mean? We were like starstruck. You know, yeah. the whole thing. But we had a we had a great day. We remember it all. We had Tom Jones in there, and you know, it was just a, a great day. I'll, I'll never forget it. So, yeah, I mean, that's certainly a way to make an impression. Now, obviously, you guys are out on the road um, with what is being called the Epitaph Tour. Um, and obviously Glenn and Ian and, uh, Rob have talked at length about the beginning or the end or, or what this is for Judas Priest, so I won't, uh, bog you down with those details. But, um, as far as the set list, I mean, I know on the last tour they had done British Steel, uh, kind of front to back. Or, uh, what should we expect from a set list from Priest, uh, on this leg of North America? Well, this one, this set list goes right from the first record. This goes right from Rock and Roller. Right, to, right through to Nostradamus. Okay. So there's at least one song off of every album right through the band's career. And, you know, it's just a great test. As I said, Rock and Roll was the first album they released back in the 70s, and we play a song called Never Satisfied from that album, and it's standing up in 2011. Yeah. And what a great testament to the band's ability and writing career. And there's still fans out there rocking to those tunes. It's just fantastic, really. But, you know, there's stuff from, as I said, every album. So there's Servo Lover, Beyond the Realms of Death, from Stained Class. Um, there's every, you know, all the stuff you can imagine. It's just like a great roller coaster and a story, really, through the, the career of Judas Priest. Sure. And it's, it's great as a fan to be part of that and be playing all those songs. Yeah, and, and I must uh, give credit to Judas Priest for really putting together a, a complete show. I mean, not only do you see the iconic Judas Priest, uh, Thin Lizzy, um, which has got to be... Uh, you know, a real treat, especially for a younger audience who may not have remembered Thin Lizzy in their heyday to get a chance to see uh, what Ricky is doing with the guys. And obviously, Zach and Black Label, um, yeah. you know, start to finish an incredible night of music. So we're very much looking forward to seeing that when you guys get into town. Um, just That's a real, great show. Real quick, gear-wise, I, I seem to see most pictures of you. You seem to be a Gibson guy. Is that a fair statement? I've always been a Gibson guy. Uh, I play Les Pauls, Fly V's, and SG's, and, you know, as you said about Lizzie and Black Label, it's a Gibson fest up there, you know, yeah, everyone's playing, you know, a friend plays an SG sometimes, I'm playing a V, Zach's playing a V, and a Les Paul, and, you know, that other, I can't remember, it's a, what is it called? It's another thing he uses, I can't remember what it's called, the ZV he uses, yeah. and you've got Scott Gore, Ricky Warwick, and Damon Johnson all using Les Pauls, it's just like a big Gibson party, you know what I mean, yeah. it's great. But uh, yeah. I've always used uh, Les Pauls and Gibsons yeah. in general, so, you know. And, and on, on the back, they, back they end, are you Marshall? No, I'm using Engel Amplifiers. Okay. It's a German right. company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, right. and I think Scott Gorham uses them as well. Um, so they've been fantastic. All the gear's been great. The crew, I'm, I've just got to say, my tech, my guitar tech, is just, I don't know what I'd do without him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's great. All the gear's great. And... Uh, it's just an, again, it's just a great situation to be in, really. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be kind of a dream come true for any guitarist to kind of step into the one, as I said before, the most iconic bands in all of metal. Yeah, Damon Johnson, who plays in Thin Lizzy, he's, he's in the same sort of position. Mm-hmm. He, he's just taken over from Richard Fortas in the band, and Thin Lizzy was one of his favorite bands. So we sort of relate on that level, you know. He's like he's all happy up there playing these songs, and I can totally relate to him, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Richie, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to jump on the show with us, man. 
Thanks very much, Jim. I'll see you soon. I always wanted to learn to play guitar, but never had the time. Then I heard about Progressions Music Studio. Progressions introduced me to an entirely new and convenient method of music instruction. They brought the music to me. The instructors from Progressions Music Studio came to my home with their knowledge and expertise, which saved me time and money. They worked around my schedule and tailored a program around my needs and skill level. Best of all, I learned to play music like a guitar king of the 1960s. We didn't spend all of our time with drills or tunes from the 1860s. Progressions Music Studio offers a lot more than guitar. In fact, they have instructors for almost all instruments. Now I can rock it out on my electric like never before. Just imagine what they can do for you or the budding musician in your family. Don't make excuses. Make music. Check them out on the web at progressionsmusicstudio.com. That's P-R-O-G-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S, musicstudio.com. Or call 724-777-4678. Five-Finger Death Punch. Share the wealth tour. Friday, November 25th, 6.30 Doors, Stage AE, with special guests, All That Remains, plus Hate Breed and Rev Theory. Tickets are on sale now at all Ticketmaster outlets. Call 800-745-3000 or Ticketmaster.com. More info at PromoWestLive.com. Hello, everyone listening to Iron City Rocks. This is Victor from Mars Attacks. That is Mars Attacks Radio and Podcast. If you're interested in listening to what my great friends Aaron and John have lent their comments to, come on over to MarsAttacksRadio.com and check out our Classic Albums column, along with all the various radio shows and podcasts that we provide. All right, a very special thanks to Richie Faulkner for taking the time out of his schedule to talk to us again. Um, we're going to be checking out Thin Lizzy, Black Label Society, and Judas Priest. Uh, going to be a great night. Uh, you can catch that tour. Uh, it's kind of winding down, I believe, in the Pittsburgh market uh, when it finally gets to us, but it's going to be kind of going all over the place. I know they were just in Denver, uh, kind of working their way across the country, so there's still plenty of chances to catch that show out on the road. And then Black Label Society, I know, will be jumping on the road and opening up for Guns N' Roses. Uh, For those of you who didn't catch it back uh, just a few episodes ago, I believe it might have been 129, but my memory is a bit rusty. We spoke with DJ Ashbaugh of Guns N' Roses. Uh, And if you're checking out the uh, back episodes, we also have an interview with Frank Bello of the uh, Almighty Anthrax. So I'm going to check those out in our uh, back episodes at ironcityrocks.com forward slash podcast. You can catch any of those by going to that link. Also, visit us on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Iron City Rocks. Twitter.com forward slash Iron City Rocks. And if you uh, want to get in touch with us, let us know how we're doing, what we're not doing right, what we are doing right. IronCityRocks at gmail.com. Uh, and before we go any further, I want to make uh, just a side note on eleven 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 National Metal Day as is declared by VH1. Um, Black Sabbath, if you go to blacksabbath.com, is going to be making some sort of announcement uh, tomorrow. I've seen it referred to as uh, Nigel from Spinal Tap Day. I know VH1 Classic is doing a bunch of stuff. But I invite you to take a moment out of that National Metal Holiday. Uh, And for those of you who have forgotten, it is Veterans Day as well. Uh, Go to castironring.com. Uh, you're going to find out what that's all about. We've been kind of hinting at it now for almost a month. Uh, we will be unveiling what that is tomorrow. 
uh, I can give you a bit of a hint for our loyal listeners. Going to give you some great stuff to fill that iPod with. Uh, we know there's a lot of people that uh, you know are kind of disenfranchised with regular radio stations. Uh, maybe you can't stream uh, internet radio if your place of employment. You can't listen to internet radio in your car. You don't want to pony up for satellite radio. Well, check out castironring.com on eleven eleven eleven, uh, and we're going to help uh, bring you some entertainment uh, throughout your week. So, without further ado, we're going to get into a segment now we have been doing, I believe this is part 11, I could be wrong on that as well, um, we have been breaking down with Tony Maranaki of Total Music and Entertainment, uh, who is a producer, live uh, sound man, you name it, uh, when it comes to audio, Tony has done it, what we have done on the show has broken down for a recording musician or maybe an amateur musician, uh, what the recording process is. We started from what do you need to know before you go into the studio. We walk through what you're going to find in the studio between your producer, your uh, engineer, your mastering process. We've gone into copyright issues, uh, collaborating remotely with other musicians. We've really tried to touch base on everything to give you a, a general sense of what it's all about. I know there's a lot of mystery, uh, especially when you first start getting in. You know, you've got a band, a bunch of buddies who play music maybe in a club or in a garage or rehearse, but you really want to start and sit down and make a, a recording of some worth. Uh, Tony also talks about live sound. Well, today we're going to get into the last part of the segment that features Tony, and we're going to talk about actually releasing an album. So we're going to get into that, and then in future installments we're going to talk a little bit on packaging, artwork, uh, promoting your album. So we're trying to give you kind of the whole gamut. So without further ado, I'm going to get into... Aaron, who is a, one of our co-hosts, with Tony Maranaki talking about publicizing and recapping your release. So, without further ado, guys, take it away. Wow. Uh, again, this is this, this is a, a really heavy set of topics today. It's giving me a lot to take in here. <laughs> so, now that we've done the copyright process, let's talk about music publishing. Because I, I got to say, this is definitely a mystery to me, and always has been. Well, music publishing again—that's something in my wheelhouse here. Uh, you know, there's so many conversations we could go off on to here, but uh, I guess I'll start by saying, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, what's it like being a music publisher? And I often say it's kind of like being a farmer. You deal with bullshit all day long. <laughs> now, I say that, you know, jokingly, but, you know, we have some pretty talented songwriters, pretty talented uh, artists here and stuff. People call all day long wanting to use our stuff in a commercial or their website or something, but you know, when it comes time to actually filling out the paperwork or committing to it, you know, it doesn't happen. I mean, it happens to everyone. Every song publisher has to go through that. Uh, publishing, though, is kind of like it's really misunderstood, you know what I mean? But um, a good publisher is able to place your songs and maybe things that you aren't even thinking of, movies, commercials, things like that. Uh, you should consider a publisher when uh, you're a songwriter or a band that is willing to let somebody else or another project perform your music. If you're headstrong on, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to break this song, 
just get a manager, copyright your stuff, and try and get broke by a record label. But if you're truly willing to have your stuff placed in other things, then you should look at getting a publisher. If your stuff's going to go on the radio and you're a big band, yeah, you definitely need a publisher. That's how you get paid. You know, the copyright part of it we talked about, that's the ownership. That's the authorship. That says, you know, so-and-so wrote the song. That's copyright. That's not how you get paid. Publishing, though, is how you get paid. So, you know, to really jump into this subject, you see I'm kind of touching on a couple areas before I really jump into this, is, you know, the publishing is how you get paid. That is what you do prior to the release of your project. Uh, now, there's a couple ways of going about the publishing. You can do it yourself. You can become a member of a performing rights organization such as ASCAP or BMI. I highly recommend if you're a songwriter that you join BMI. Now, uh, can I pause you for just a second? Because I've always associated ASCAP and BMI. If I join that, then I am published. So is that, is that only part of the publishing then? So you're not publishing if you, if you just have submit to ASCAP? I guess I don't understand how ASCAP BMI work at all. Well, I mean, they... they um, Okay, ASCAP is more directed towards uh, film and TV. BMI, as the name implies, Broadcast Music Incorporated, is more for broadcast radio. But they are the biggest performing rights organization in the world. Uh, but, you know, I had my songs ripped off uh, a while back. And this is before I was anybody. But, you know, BMI, because I had them registered with, uh, through BMI already, uh, they went to bat for me, shut down websites, I mean, like, like, you know, pulled records off shelves. I mean, just things that you wouldn't expect a multi-billion dollar corporation to do to, you know, a songwriter, a, you know, an aspiring songwriter. I was making exactly. my name doing sound, but certainly nobody knew me doing songs or anything like that. But they really helped me out. Um, what both of those organizations do, though, in a... A uh, real quick explanation is uh, when your song's played on the radio or in a movie, you get a royalty. We'll just use radio because it's just a simpler explanation, but they both work very similar. Uh, now, you can be a member of ASCAP and collect royalties from radio. You can be a member of BMI and collect royalties from TV and film. You don't have to join either one to get any specific royalty, and you should only be a member of, of either one. There's another one, C, C uh, I forget, but BMI and ASCAP are the way to go. BMI is the way to go. Um, so every time your song's played on the radio, the radio station takes $2 from their advertising and puts it towards, we'll just say, BMI. Now, that doesn't mean you get $2 every time that your song's played on the radio because when you're talking about having a catalog of 80 million songs, it's kind of hard to keep those kind of records. <laughs> In fact, it's impossible. So what BMI and ASCAP do is they pay a sampling, and it's basically a percentage breakdown. So that's why when you've got somebody like Lady Gaga who's hot right now, her song's on every radio station – multiple times a day, and that's why she's making her money now. So what they'll do is they'll take a sampling of 
every major city, their radio stations, their playlists, and then take that money, and then they'll say, okay, we've got, uh, for this week, we collected, you know, $200 million, and we got uh, Lady Gaga leading the pack with, say, 20% of all plays. So of that money, she'll get 20% of that money. And then whoever the next most played artists are will get, you know, a cut accordingly. So that's why when your song's only played like one time or, you know, something like that, and you're like, where's my two bucks? You know, <laughs> well, you're kind of in that percentage of that curve that doesn't get paid anything. Okay. So that's why if you have a song and it's a commercial hit, you should really work on it, really try to, you know, get it on the radio stations, get everybody to play it, because you'll get a higher percentage of the cut during that time. Now, how does it work for, like, um, let's say, like, a game like Guitar Hero that I know is, has helped revive interest in a lot of different artists? Um, are there royalties paid out for video games and things like that as well? There sure are. We were actually part of a video game called Full Throttle. It was a pretty popular game for... Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we did a lot of the music on that. Uh, that that's, again, the work of a good publisher. Not to pat myself on the back or nothing, but... Um, <laughs> no, it was actually the people who I had me, helped me begin my publishing company. Uh, you know, back at that time, they helped me with that one. But... Um, you can get uh, royalties from video games, internet sites, uh, advertisement. Um, anybody that goes by our site there in the music section, we've got TV commercials. Uh, you know, just we run the gamut. Now, it's not, you know, you don't get enormous amounts for everything, and it all depends on, you know, your... I don't want to say status, that would be a bad uh, description, but basically how hot you are at that time. So if you're hot, somebody's going to pay more money to use your stuff. I mean, it's kind of like common sense in that regard. Right, right. But there are avenues to make uh, money through publishing that a lot of people don't realize. We've done things in motion pictures. Uh, uh, we've got stuff in um, just, you know, everywhere, really. Uh not everything's made us a lot of money, but certainly uh, things that you would have never thought just by having your stuff maybe in 10, 20 seconds in a motion picture, that's the highest paying uh, thing that you can do. I mean, if you get a chance to have your music, you know, even slightly inserted into a major motion picture, do it because they pay very, very well. But um, the publishing aspect is kind of tricky because, you know, there comes a point in time and I don't know if we're going to jump over what you wanted to know yet, but there comes a point in time where to get your stuff published, if you can't do it yourself, you're going to have to hook up with a publisher. So um, that part of it can be really, really scary. So um, I've seen people's uh, careers kind of just end there. Uh, a disease sets in called contractualitis and it's the fear of signing contracts <laughs> yeah but you need it with a publisher because the publisher has to have a contract with the company that says you know my writer gets paid 
but it's the business end, and that's where you really have to decide uh, if this is what I want to do. It's the it's the business end even before you release something because what you're doing is you're assigning your rights to an individual or a company uh, in order for that company to administrate those. And that company will write a license for your song to be covered by a band, be used in a movie, uh, television, and those licenses are how you get paid. So if you're afraid of signing contracts or have any fear of it, publishing is definitely not for you. But uh, if you write a song or in a band and want to you know, begin to make money from that, that's probably where you want to start. Uh, because you can register with BMI, um, but that doesn't mean that they're your publishers. You have to make sure and be diligent uh, in how to collect those royalties. But if you don't know how, I mean, I, I don't even want to start explaining it to you because we'll be here for another two hours easily. Gotcha. <laughs> but um, that's where it really helps to come in and have a publisher at that point, you know, if you want to begin shopping your stuff to other things outside of like your own band or, or what have you, that's, that's usually what you want to do is find a publisher. A, a manager won't necessarily help you in that regard, you know. The publisher uh, will make sure that, you know, everything's, that your I's are, are dotted and your T's are crossed. Because, uh, you know, just one wrong thing on a contract means you just got, you know, screwed out of something. So it's always yeah. good to have a, a good publisher. But you have to be aware, you know, if this is something that you can't do as a band, then don't do it. Get a publisher, send your stuff out, you know. Um, you'll find them to be fairly receptive if your things are good. Um, but uh, you don't really need a publisher unless, unless your stuff is going to be uh, broadcast commercially. Or you want to maybe pursue that avenue with one of your own works, uh, one of your own songs. Yeah, and I think like a, a lot of um, a lot of what, what the fear of a lot of artists comes in is that fear, like you said, of getting taken advantage of if you don't have somebody like a manager looking out for you or a lawyer to go over the contract. Oh yeah, I mean you should always have an attorney look over a contract. I mean it, it's amazing how. You know, somebody will think nothing about doing what we talked about earlier, writing a song with somebody in a foreign country without even discussing with them anything. But the minute you got to sign a contract with somebody, it's just like, I won't do it. Well, you know, yeah. send, it, send it to an attorney, send it to a manager, you know, talk to them about it. Uh, it just it it just amazes me how m many people will just like kind of just leave it leave it open. I mean, if you don't have a good publisher in place when you sign with a record label, you know, record label basically rape you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the publisher is like the copyright police. You know, they come in and make sure that you're getting paid right, that your stuff's being used right, and um, that you know everything's uh, cool. Uh, I, I remember I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, this was quite a few years back. They had um, a big display with Chuck Berry's guitars, and they had one of his early contracts that he signed. And it was just so evident how poorly 
he was treated and, and how badly he was ripped off in that first contract. Yeah, you know, and he, you're and, reading and, through it, it's like, wow. And things like that have since been discovered. So, you know, I mean, people yeah. don't really – but that isn't to say – I mean, that's not to say, like I said, it goes back to me being the farmer again. You know, I'll get some of these contracts, and I'll go – there's not one binding element in this contract. You don't have to pay me anything. You can use my stuff, but you're under no obligation to pay me, to report to me, or anything. So how's my writer going to know what, what his stuff's being used for? So uh, a lot of people will just put their stuff up, you know, on any old site and, yeah. and hope for the best, but they'll never think about truly hooking up with our partnering with somebody that can help their help their business and again that song that record it's a business now if if that's what you want to do with it you know um if not then you know it's not for you but so many people come to me and say how do i make money with this well now this is what you got to do well that that's too hard well that's what you have to do i mean Putting out a record is no different than if you were going to start another kind of business, uh, a carpenter, start a bakery, whatever. Some people can bake, can't run a business for a hill of beans. You know what I mean? Some people can cut wood, uh, do amazing things with, with uh, wood, but don't know how to balance their books. So they have to get a business partner. And in a way, I think a publisher, especially nowadays, is a partner uh, with a songwriter or people who write their own material. If you're a cover band, you don't need a publisher. You need a good lawyer. <laughs> but, you know, uh, um, if you're writing your own material and you partner with a good enough publisher who can place your stuff, you know, uh, who has the contacts or the leads, um, you'd be surprised. I've had people come in. I don't want anybody to play my song ever, you know. I'm like, okay. Then the minute they find out the opportunities that are, that are out there and that they could get paid now to relieve some of the burden that they have, you know what I mean? It's like uh, I could get this X amount of money by just letting somebody use a little bit of a song and then I could take that money and parlay that into a digital recording workstation or uh, things like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or Or allow that exposure that I received uh, to propel my own career. And uh, a lot of people get hung up on wanting to be the star and, and missing probably what their true opportunity is, you know, by not allowing something like that to happen. Now, that's not because you had a publisher or not. That's things that I stress. Another thing that I stress as a publisher is you're assigning your material to a publisher, to me, all right? And we're going to do it for probably an 18-month period or until a commercial product has been made. So what that means is I'm administrating that for 18 months. So if you come back to me, and this is a discussion that anybody who knows me who's listening to this is going to just repeat it verbatim because it's the same thing I, I give all the time. Yeah. But you don't assign a song to the publisher, and six months later, the bass player quits the band. Or, you know, the singer says, you know what, I wrote that for my girlfriend, and we broke up now, and I really don't want to perform that song. So the publisher just goes, well, tough, I'll shop it to another band, and we'll see what happens then. Now, that doesn't mean the publisher's stealing your stuff. That just means you have to make a business decision 
on whether or not you're going to like put your material out there. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not a theft or it's not anything like that. That guy now goes, well, if you don't want to perform the song, then how am I going to get compensated for the work that I've put into that? Now I've got to look for somebody else to perform the song. But anybody that's a professional wouldn't do that. Uh, that's, that's strictly amateur stuff. Uh, you know, you don't sign with a publisher or manager and then change just because somebody's girlfriend... Uh, um, broke up with them or something like that. If anything, the bass player quitting, that's the best thing, having the publisher, because then there can be no hanky-panky. You know, the bass player yeah. can call the publisher. If the publisher wants to ignore the bass player, all he has to do is call an attorney. I mean, it's, it's in any basic publishing contract that you can audit books, that you can look at stuff. You know what I mean? Nobody can hide anything from you, and if it's not in there, don't sign it, man. Yeah. You don't want it. I mean, there should be no reason for... For anything to be secret or anything like that it is a business decision now and like I said when you say oh, I, I want to do this or that it has to be within everybody's uh, best uh, you know interest all right well we've come to the end of our topics here and I guess the last thing to really talk about is the release which we've really covered every step of that. We've talked about planning it out. We've talked about uh, the fact that we should have an EP um, for most of our local bands versus trying to do like a full record. So what, what kind of things would you like to kind of recap just for us for the release topic here before we go today, Tony? Well, you know, the release is basically if you're trying to make money as a band, that's what all these conversations that we've had have been leading up to. So, uh, you know, if I was to recap, probably recap the whole thing. You know, if you want to put out a CD, then make that your goal. Avoid all excuses and look for reasons to get it done. If you're a songwriter, hum into the mic, play a guitar, sing your song, find musicians to perform your stuff, find a studio to record it, a studio to mix it down. You know, d avoid excuses. Uh, uh, Excuses are like are like assholes. Everybody has them, and they all stink. You know what I mean? Right. So you always have to look for a reason to get something done. So you got to be an ambitious person. If you're not ambitious, then forget it. You know. But uh, recognize your weakness, man. Build a team that will include people that are good at what you're not. If you're not a good speaker. Like, I'm not, so I have a good attorney who's my vice president. He can speak well. <laughs> I tend to ramble, as people will find listening to this. But always, you know, uh, compliment yourself with people that are good at stuff that you're not. Um, I guess, you know, if you're looking at what kind of release or, or whatnot, I think our last topic was kind of what do you want to record, a band live or isolated uh if you want to put out a good live sounding cd record a live set hire a mobile person or somebody to record your live set as well as your own sound man there's it's the same cost whether you're hiring a sound man and then going to the studio later or just doing it at the same time you owe it to your listener your fans to create an experience on record as well as an experience live. You don't want it to be the same thing. You might want it to, but 
technically, once they hear the record and see you live and see it's the same thing, you're kind of defeating it. You know what I mean? So you really want to put it into perspective. If I want a live sound, go record a live set. It's gonna, you're going to get a much better result because the band's all looking at each other and you're dealing with a crowd. The crowd will take your mind away from the fact that you're recording. But if you want to make a good record and then put on a good show afterwards, go in the studio, isolate it, get the click track in there, get your stuff nice and, nice and polished, and uh, put it out, you know. But put it out with a purpose. Don't just put out your CD and then expect, like, again, you know, angels calling and the skies will part because it just don't work that way. You have to let people know, hey, this is where I'm at. Stomp your feet, jump up and down, create attention, try not to get arrested. Uh, but, you know, let people know, hey, this is me. I'm, I'm like, here, I got a CD. Um, you mean, you might have to give stuff away or, or what have you. Um, see about getting things up on iTunes. But always have something, a buy now button, links to iTunes, because anybody, any visitor to your website is a potential customer. Uh, chances are they might not come back. So always take advantage of every potential person. Have CDs in your pockets to sell, to hand out, um, you know, any way you can to generate uh, income or just let people know who you are. Um, if your stuff's good, word of mouth spreads. I mean, it's worked for this company for a very long time. We don't advertise. And I know a lot of local bands who never advertised who are very good too. But if you adopt that, you know, you're talking about a few bands that succeeded that way. Where a lot more crummier bands that are on MTV or whatever video station actually plays videos now, you're looking at these guys like, well, they're clowns, but they're persistent. They're jumping up and down. They're showing the world who they are. You know, and that's what you got to do. You got to get your stuff out there and say, here it is. Yeah. You want somebody to know about your product? You got to talk about it. That's right. All right. Well, Tony, thank you very much for all the talks that we have had. This has been a very, very informative run um, and quite a series here. So I'm really looking forward to. Um, to get these all out. Thank you for your time. Well, you're very welcome, man. Thank you for uh, you know helping out the local community here, and um, hopefully somebody will like listen and go. It's not a big mystery. It just takes a little bit of work, and uh, it takes some luck, but uh, you got to do some work. And there you have it, folks. That was Aaron and Tony Maranaki. Uh, before we go any further, I want to take a moment to publicly thank Tony. Um, this kind of came out of an idea I had. Oh God. It, it's been four or five months ago now because I've been interested in music really my whole life as you might guess and dabbled in recording my own music and playing music and things like that but there was always a bit of mystery in my mind and what the studio was all about that always you know I was always fascinated when bands would do DVDs and include stuff from the studio because I had no idea how that worked I knew a lot about live performance, a lot about listening to music and that sort of stuff, but what goes on in the studio? So I kind of threw this out to, to uh, Tony of Total Music and Entertainment, and his website is tmentertainment.com, and I invite you to check that out. Um, and I kind of reached out to him and said, hey, would you be interested in this? And he jumped on it immediately without any hesitation. 
Uh, and also a big thanks to Aaron, who I saddled with this task of going out and, and doing a huge amount of content. There's probably three or four hours worth of recorded content uh, between all the parts of the series. So a big thank you to both of those guys for taking the time uh, to give us an education on this stuff. And I hope you found it in- informative. Um, I would be delighted to hear some feedback. IronCityRocks at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Uh, if you have suggestions for other topics that we might have missed, um, we would love to, to do some more stuff if you guys are interested in hearing it. So, again, IronCityRocks at gmail.com. And while you're in the mood to give some feedback, don't be a stranger on iTunes. If you go to iTunes and uh, search for Iron City Rocks, we would love to know, um, you know, provide some feedback. Let us know what you're thinking. So, again, you can visit us at ironcityrocks.com, uh, facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks, twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks. We want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to us. We invite you to come back uh, as often as you like. Check out back episodes if this is the first one. We've really had some guests over the last several weeks that uh, we've been delighted to bring you. As I mentioned, Anthrax, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, uh, members of Guns N' Roses and 6AM, just to name a few at the top of my head. So if you're interested in hard rock, heavy metal, even blues uh, and and pure rock music, uh, we hope you find a home here. So again, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.